0: folks, Matthew Garnett here with the In Layman's Terms podcast. We are going to look at Rick Warren's first sermon of the year. The pastors in the pop evangelical world always come out with kind of their theme for the year, their emphasis, what they want the New Year's resolution to be. And the case with Rick Warren this year is he wants praise and worship to really be a priority. Praise and worship from the heart Is what he's going after this year that's going to sustain a person through 2022. And of course, praise and worship from the heart is commanded in Holy Scripture. But unfortunately, where a lot of the pop evangelicals go with this is they turn it into something that's going to be this panacea, this end all be all of your existence for the next year type of idea a lot of times. And praise and worship, I did a series some time ago called the seven sacraments of the pop evangelicals and one of them is praise and worship and what happens is a lot of times when we don't value holy scripture as the power of god unto salvation for men as saint paul teaches us in romans often we will replace those things with other things like a great smoke and light show complete with a rock band with talented musicians you know that you'd see at a club on saturday night it is exciting these uh, big churches, I used to play for my, my buddy Jesse in one of these big mega churches. I used to play drums, and we played in the in the big house one day with this big broadcast room, and it, it is exciting to watch these musicians play. Generally speaking, they're very very talented. I, I might have been an exception there, but uh, you know, I got that opportunity, and it does, it really draws you in. It's exciting. It's, it's motivating. But, but most churches really just simply can't do this. They can't put on this kind of show week after week after week. And really, those shows are not where the power lies. That is not what Holy Scripture teaches. That is not what St. Paul tells us uh, is the power for salvation. You don't come, you aren't drawn to the gospel by, by a good praise and worship band. It just doesn't work that way. You aren't sustained in your faith by having an emotional response in praise and worship. And unfortunately, that's where uh, Pastor Warren goes with this. And he talks about how to really kind of get into it when you come to church. You know, some of the types of things to do and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, he ends up misapplying some scripture in it. And we're really just going to go over a couple pieces of that before we get to what we really want to get to in this podcast, which is continuing to talk about the ontological foundations, really the the realness of where our morality comes from, where the universe comes from. We're going to get into a little bit of evolution. I've got Doctor Benjamin Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary here in Fort Wayne, queued up with a paper he gave at our symposia just this uh, this in the past few weeks here on uh, the essential teaching of Genesis one through three as being historical. Now. For us as Christians, that the reasons we want to take Genesis 1 through 3 as historical are in fact theological. And we're going to talk about prioritizing our our worldviews in such a way as to make, uh, as to understand Genesis 1 through 3 as historical. So, in other words, uh, maybe some of you have heard me talk about this idea of uh, what our heuristic priorities are when it comes to epistemology now that's a real fancy way of saying how do we discover what truth is how do we know how do we discover what we know so heuristics it just comes from this greek uh, word we use it in common parlance when we find gold we say eureka we found the gold and when we talk about heuristics it's just a discovery tool that we use to find out what the truth is how to find out what we know which is what epist- all epistemology is is how do we know what we know? That's what epistemology is. So our, our heuristic, um, when it comes to epistemology for Christians, goes kind of in this order. It goes scripture, which involves theology, reason, and then emotion. Pretty much in that order. So scripture governs reason and emotion. Reason governs, governs emotion. That doesn't mean emotion is not important. We're going to talk about emotion with uh, Pastor Warren. But emotion is not what drives us. It's not what sustains our faith. The scriptures, God's word, that's, that's what St. Paul teaches. That is exactly what he's talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation for those who believe. That's where the power is. So, first of all, our faith is sustained by God's word. And we as Lutherans, I as a Lutheran, believe the sacraments sustain our faith as well. We, we And I'm convinced that's what Holy Scripture teaches. Obviously, some of you will disagree with that. That's another topic for another day. But the point being is what's what sustains our faith is God's word. Then, after that comes reason. And in this day and time, I I, th- I don't think it could be overstated that our reason should our reason should govern our emotions. And too often we see, in this day and time, our emotions overcoming our reason. So, for instance, producer Isaac here likes to play video games every once in a again. And if we're nice, we'll allow him to play a video game and. When we allow him to play a video game, often his emotion overcomes his reason. Because he knows he has to get up for school early the next day. And in his mind, he knows if I don't get to bed, I'm going to be sleepy all the next day tomorrow. But still, I so want my passions are governing me here. I so want to play this video game that I'm willing to be miserable all day tomorrow during school and not learn a thing in order to play this video game a bit longer. Isn't that true, producer Isaac? It's half-truth, he says. Okay. But, but that's, a, that's just a simple example. I'm teasing a little bit there. But that's a, just a simple illustration of how our passions really, we don't want to let our passions govern our reason. That's probably a better way to put it. Our emotions are a different thing. Our emotions can be good. Our emotions can tell us things, our intuitions. But we always want to test those emotions because they can be so unstable. They're very unwieldy. They're kind of like building the house on the sand, like Christ put it in the Sermon on the Mount. Got to be very, very careful about that. So that's, that's, that's our epistemological heuristic for Christians. There's, there's my fancy term for we Scripture above everything, then reason, then emotion. Now, in the world of those who are perhaps atheists, who don't believe in God, who aren't Christians, maybe we, we might call them pagans. That's not, a, that's not a derogatory term. It's just a, a term for people who don't uh, believe in the one true God. They are going to reverse some of those heuristics. So, for instance, the, really the modern uh, epistemological heuristic goes reason, then maybe scripture. And we're going to see, uh, Dr. Maze is going to take us through some of the teachings of an individual named Herman Zaza, who is one of our foremost dogmaticians, theologians in, in, uh, in Lutheran theology. He's going to take us through some of his teachings and some of the struggles he had with taking uh, Genesis 1 through 3 as history. And understanding that in light of scientific discovery. So for somebody like Zasseh, he unfortunately slips into the modern epistemological heuristic of putting uh, reason above Holy Scripture. And then, and then uh, comporting his understanding of Genesis 1-3 through 3 from that lens. And, and we're going to see that very clearly as we go through it. Might not get to all of it today, but as we progress through in this podcast and maybe the next one... We'll kind of start to understand you know the the danger in in mixing up the order of 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 those things of of scripture reason then emotion and putting reason above scripture and what what kind of uh happens to our understanding some very basic tenets of faith when we do that especially with uh, an, an important passage like genesis one through three so we're going to take a look at that we'll take a look at pastor warren's first sermon of the year and then uh just want to do some housekeeping here a little bit uh the in layman's terms podcast is moving away from youtube and facebook we will continue to post on there for some time to try to transition everybody who has subscribed to us and who follows us on facebook and youtube we'll try to make the announcement as you know as much as possible try to get everybody informed about where we're moving we are moving to substack i will come out with all that information i'm in the middle of Putting all that together, getting I've got the podcast move there. I'm going to be writing blog posts there, different essays on different topics that uh, that hopefully will be helpful to folks. But we have just really found that Facebook and YouTube are using a very unethical and I would say immoral business model uh, in in creating their platforms. And we've got uh, a modest audience. It's not a. We don't have millions and millions, or even thousands and thousands of followers. We got a few hundred followers, which is fine. It's great. Again, I really, uh, if I'm going to stick with my original reasoning for doing this podcast, is to help keep me sharp. This is really what it is. And if it helps some of you, great. I'm happy about that too. Some of you have come along for the ride, and I'm I'm pleased that that's that's going on. However, this is really to help keep me sharp to sharpen my understanding of some of these things that. Are helpful to defend my faith and articulate my faith and, and these sorts of things. And so, if I'm going to stick with that theme, uh, you know, really moving over to someplace like Substack is going to facilitate that, all while maybe moving some of you away from these toxic uh, social media platforms. And we played that clip last week from the documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I would encourage you to watch that. These platforms really fuel division in order to get views on their platforms in order to keep people on their platforms because what they do is they observe and analyze and um, aggregate data on consumer behavior and then they sell it to marketers that's really what's valuable to marketers is is not so much you know your your personal data when you talk about your personal data maybe it's your email and that sort of thing I mean, how many of us really reply to these spam emails we get? Not many of us. There might be something that comes across that might be interesting to us. We might happen to be looking for. Um, But most of the time, what they want to know is how people, how certain kinds of people behave. How do different groups of people behave? And that's how they really put their marketing together. And they're doing this en masse. And one way they keep eyeballs on the screen is through getting people outraged. Uh, Outraged about this, outraged about that, and then fighting about it online because... Uh, again, there's there's something that releases a high in the brain called dopamine. I think get a dopamine hit from winning an online argument. I used to do it. I used to love it. God be praised. I've gotten away from that in a lot of ways, but I just don't want to even be anywhere near that or close to it. Producer Isaac, question.
1: I have substituted that with annoying, very
0: uh, rude people online. Right. So... We uh, we want to get away from that, and that's what that's what we're trying to do around here. So we're going to move to Substack, and probably as our video platform. If y'all enjoy watching the videos, we're going to move to a platform called Rumble, and but we'll, but it'll all be the hub of all that will pro, will be our Substack. So that's what we're going to do with that, and we will more stand by more information to come on that. We'll announce it. We'll, we probably won't delete our, our YouTube channel. It'll still be there, uh, but just won't, we just won't put up any new content on it. We'll just have one video on there saying we've moved to Substack and same thing on Facebook. Hey, we've moved to Substack Here's Here's where you can find us and please do come and subscribe on, on Substack. We will have an option to donate so I can pay producer Isaac here and meet all the expenses we have, the little bit of expenses we have with producing the podcast you know, getting money raised for our Steelers project that's still going on. And so we, we will invite you all to do that with us. We're going to move to Substack and uh, we'll let you know as those details come forth. OK, so let's move on here and we're going to get started right away with uh, Rick Warren's first sermon of 2022, talking about praise and worship and how we should do it from the heart if we're going to have a sustained and vibrant faith in this year. Let's go for it.
1: Good to see you, thank you, have a seat everybody. We got a little bit different service this week, as you could tell, I've got some friends here on stage that are gonna help me uh, through this service. One of my roles as your pastor is not just to teach you new truth, but to remind you of stuff you already know. We have good forgetters, you agree with that? Parents have to remind their kids of things they know. Employers and bosses and supervisors and managers have to re- remind you know, uh, workers what's going on. It's part of my job uh, to help remind you of stuff because human nature is uh, we forget. Now today, as we start a new year, 2022 together, I wanna remind you of a powerful habit and the benefits of this important habit, this important spiritual habit. It's a habit you're gonna need to use every single day of your life in 2022. This habit is particularly useful when you're going through tough times. So today, uh, I want us to look at the awesome power of praise. But we're not just gonna think about it. I'm not gonna just teach you on it we're actually going to practice this. This will be an unusual service because I'm gonna teach you a point about praise and then we're gonna practice it and then I'm gonna teach you another one and, and do that. So get out your message notes right now. Okay, go ahead and pull them all out. And uh, not only pull out your message notes, but start warming up your voice because you're gonna use it a lot uh, in this service. Now, at the top of your outline, Psalm 150 verse six says this. Let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Yes, then you are to praise the Lord. Everything in the universe brings praise to God. Actually, even the stuff that doesn't have breath, trees, plants, rocks, they honor God. They bring glory to God by being what God created them to be. Everything brings glory to God. Only human beings reject that. And so even uh, Jesus once said, if human beings don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Now, when it comes to praise and it comes to worship, it's not really complicated. In fact, Jesus said there are only two marks of real worship. is the only thing you have to remember. The entire Bible, there are only two qualifications for worship to be correct. And Jesus says this in John chapter four, the next verse on your outline, verse 23. uh, Jesus said, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Circle spirit and truth, in spirit and truth. That's the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now what does that mean? To worship God in spirit and truth. Now spirit, does it's not a capital S, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, it's talking about your spirit. You're not just a body. You have a spirit in your body. And when you worship God in the correct way, it's from your spirit. You don't just mouth the words. You don't just mindlessly go through rituals and and prayers that you've memorized and and not even think about it. it. It comes from your spirit. Okay. Pastor
0: Warren here, I'm afraid, has a limited understanding of spirit. It's not simply, Jesus isn't simply talking about emotion there. Although he is talking about that. The spirit isn't limited to simply your emotion only. And I would say it is certainly probably, I I can almost guarantee that Jesus is not referring to your passions here. He's not talking about wanting to do things. So... The ancients talked about emotions and passions. They made this, this distinction. So your, your passions are things that you really want to do. You, you want to have pleasure. You, you enjoy these things. Now, sometimes there's nothing wrong with those, but the, our passions can overcome, like we pointed out with producer Isaac, playing his video games still late in the night when he's not supposed to. First of all, he's disobeying his parents. Second of all, he's going to be dead at school tomorrow and not learn anything. He's going to be disobeying his teachers. It's going to be terrible. He knows this. His reason knows this, but his passions as have overcome his reasons. This is what we want to be warned about. We do not want to be ruled or guided by our passions. And unfortunately, here I'm afraid Pastor Warren is relegating this notion of spirit. When Jesus says, True worshipers worship me in spirit and in truth, he's relegating the spirit really to our passions. Do we want to be there? Uh, because he mentions this notion of, well, we, God does, doesn't want us to just come and go through the motions. Well, that's not correct. And as we'll see, as Pastor Warren goes on here, we'll show why it's not correct. Let's continue on.
1: And it has to be in truth. In other words, for worship to be accepted by God, it has to be authentic. You're got to really mean it. And it has to be accurate, authentic and accurate devotional and doctrinal, in spirit and in truth. The one thing that really ticks God off, if you wanna know what God doesn't like, that God really hates it, what God hates more than anything else is lukewarm worship, where we go through the motions, we sing the songs, we say the prayers, we do the right thing, but we're not even thinking about it. We're just going through the routine, the ritual, without even thinking about it. God says, I'd rather you just... Mail it in, skip that if you're gonna do it. In the book of Revelation, uh, J- uh, Jesus says, I, I see that you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. He said, I don't like that. I don't like lukewarm worship. He said, I'd rather have you be cold, totally against me, or hot, totally for me, just not lukewarm. He said, because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. That's a euphemism that says, you make me sick to my stomach. You nauseate me. God says, when I see people who are coming to worship, but they don't really mean it, they're not even thinking about it. He says, it makes me want to throw up. It makes me want to puke. It makes me want to vomit. So a couple things here. First of all, what what were you seeing in this
0: producer, Isaac, that was bothering you? Uh,
1: Some of the stuff he's mentioning kind of sounds
0: like it was written by him. And he's saying that God hates when God... Usually doesn't hate people, even his enemies. Right. So, what producer Isaac is pointing out here is, is a couple. What he's talking about is the scripture references that Pastor Warren's pointing out. The the I don't know where he gets these translations. Sometimes they're there. A lot of the times they're the New Living Translation, and they're they're not great translations. They they are conveying something, a connotation that's really not in that passage. So, for instance, and and again. Pastor Warren is preaching a connotation of this passage from Revelation that's not there. So when Jesus says be hot or be cold the idea should come to your mind of tea. We like We like iced tea. We like hot tea. We don't like lukewarm tea. That's the idea. It's not talking about being for or against God. It's talking about being the temperature you're supposed to be in order to be useful so it's not talking about this is not again referring to our passions our authenticity as you put it in worship that's not the idea at all in fact pastor Warren is completely off the mark to say that if you're not feeling it if you're not into it if you're not genuinely worshiping authentically praising God when you come to a Sunday morning service you might as well mail it in now I'm not entirely sure what he means by that but is he saying that if I'm not if I don't feel like going to church and praising God from the heart that I shouldn't just I should I should just not show up? That morning, I don't think that's what God is talking about because if that were true, then we could obey any of the commands of Holy Scripture, one of which is to regularly gather with believers, that is clear from Holy Scripture, we are to attend church on a regular basis. We have established regular to mean every Sunday, and I think that's a pretty good norm. So, am i to if i am to disobey that command from holy scripture when i don't feel like obeying it what other commands can i disobey when i don't feel like obeying them when i when i can't obey them from the heart so that cannot be what possibly what jesus means by worshiping in spirit and in truth more likely what jesus is talking about there is something like what isaiah is talking about where he says you know in inspired by the very word of God, the direct word from God, the direct revelation of God's word to him as a prophet, where he talks about God not desiring sacrifice. I mean, the psalmist talks about this, but God desires mercy and grace, that uh, that the uh, sacrifices of the people, according to Isaiah, were worthless because they neglected the oppressed and the widow and the orphan they come to they come and come to a worship service all while they go out and live against the commands of the holy scripture that's why god was upset with their worship that's what makes god sick when we go to church on sunday and then live the rest of the week like we're not even christians we don't obey the commands of the holy scripture we're not compassionate to our neighbors we're not living according to the 10 commandments That's what Jesus is talking about. And that makes way more sense to me than Jesus being, you know, like uh, producer Isaac pointed out, God's not sick over that. And again, God is compassionate. He forgives our sins. And that's part of the reason we go to church is to confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. Don't forget that. Um, But the point being that what makes God sick is not inauthentic worship as Pastor Warren's putting forth here, but... When we go to Sunday morning worship, and we go through all the motions of acting like we love and adore and praise God, and then we go out the door and disobey all of His other commands, according to Holy Scripture, according to the Ten Commandments, according to what mercy and compassion would demand of us, that's what makes God sick. And that's what and we should repent of that. And God and and, and producer Isaac is right. God is merciful, and if we ask for his forgiveness, he will give it, give it to us based on the, the death and resurrection of our Lord. So that's there, for sure. The point being, the key is not to feel it in worship. It's not to have this authentic feeling of praising God and worshiping from the heart and these sorts of things. Although, worshiping from the heart is important. If you're never feeling it, then that might indicate a problem. You should feel something sometimes, but sometimes you'll go to church. You don't feel like being there. You don't feel like being there the entire time you're there, and you can't wait to get out of there. That's just the fact. Now, I'm speaking for myself. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I'll bet that's true for you as well. There are certain Sunday mornings you don't feel like getting up and going to church, but you do it anyway because God commanded. There are certain days where producer Isaac doesn't feel like obeying my commands to go to bed when he's supposed to, but he does it anyway because he's a Christian. And this is what Christians do. And that's what Jesus means by worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So our spirit, I would say, is juxtaposed against our passions. Our spirit does what, wants to do uh, what God commands instead of what our passions are trying to dictate toward us. uh, St. Paul really covers this in, in Romans 7, I think, when he talks about the new man wanting to do what the Lord commands, but the sinful nature is against that. That's what I think Jesus is getting at here when he talks about worshiping in spirit, worshiping according to the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Warren says this isn't, a, isn't about the Holy Spirit, but really it is because the Holy the Spirit that was, is within us now is God's Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. We don't have this separate spirit that's apart from the Holy Spirit within us. This is what Jesus is talking about. And even though it's not capitalized, that's what we're getting at here is denying our passions that tell us to be offensive to our neighbors and to not love them as we should and to not go to church when we're supposed to and doing it anyway, even when we don't feel like it. In fact, that's probably a more, I would say almost a higher form of worship. I mean, producer Isaac was a baby at one point and I had to change his dirty diapers. Do you think I wanted to do that? No, but I did it because that's what Holy Scripture demands of me. That's what love demands of me. And when we see people making sacrifices, even when they may not prefer to do that, that's often the highest form of love and worship and praise. So I wouldn't say necessarily if you were to pin Pastor Warren down on this and ask him about it, he would say, oh yeah, I just miss church whenever you want to. I don't think that's what he's trying to say, but he's really getting off the mark here in a lot of ways. And he's trying to emphasize this sacrament of the pop evangelicals, which is a, at the end of the day, becomes a substitute for God's word, for the power of God's word to call men to salvation and to transform the lives of his believers. That's what he's substituting in. He's saying, this is the key this year. It would have been great had he got got up and said, this year, the key to, to having a more fulfilled life in 2022 is studying your Bible more. That would have been good. Showing up to church more often, that'd have been good too. Even when you don't feel it, showing up to church. You may come here, you might hate the music. You might hate rock music. You might prefer classical or, you know, organ music, but we play rock music here. So you have to deal with what we have. You come anyway and you get God's word. That's, that's what's going to sustain you in 2022. But instead he says this idea of praise. and I'm, I'm not entirely sure where he's going to go with this on and to about half of the sermon, uh, but it really does boil down to that. Um, and, and that has all kinds of implications because as men struggle with this and all kinds of other things, other issues we can talk about on a different day. But at the end of the day, this praise from your passions, this wanting to praise from the heart, this authentic praise is no substitute for God's word. That's what sustains us really. Okay. What God gives us sustains us, not what we necessarily give to God. We give to God in response to his gifts to us, see. That's the idea don't substitute that don't get them flip-flopped God's word is what's going to sustain you and his sacraments and then our response to that is praise okay let's go ahead and uh, move on here to the teaching screen Isaac and we'll get to back to talking about uh, let's see Where I get my notes here pulled up get back to talking about morality the really the foundations of morality and the origin of where we where we get our understanding of morals, their their ontological existence, you know, how, how they have their being, you know, what how they came into existence and that sort of thing. And can we have those things without God? Now, we left off really last week talking about natural law and Deus. So we have somebody who believes there is a God who created all things and then just went hands off. Stepped back and folded his arms and watched the universe spin as it was designed to, supposedly. And there's a, there's a problem with that that, that we're going to explore this week in a couple ways. One, just the philosophical. Loopholes that are that are in that notion. In other words, deism and natural law don't cut it. Like we talked about last time, the the authority, the time, and the scope are always problems there. Because again, with deism, you don't have any direct word from God on anything, so you have trouble getting your mind around where's the where does the ultimate authority lie? It's a diff, more difficult to come by when you don't have God's word. You also don't get the uh, the you don't come by these under this understanding of morals in a timely fashion, like we talked about with with producer Isaac jumping off the high place to determine whether or not that's going to kill him or injure him, injure him. We don't have time to figure that out. We wish we would have known that producer Isaac jumping from a high place would kill him. In fact, before he did die, but we don't know. We had to experiment and find out. See, that's kind of what happens. We think I think of the eugenics projects of the early twenties or the earliest early uh, 20th century uh, in the 20s and 30s where we thought it would be better for the human race if we euthanized certain uh, babies. This is where we got the idea of abortion originally where we sterilized certain human beings so they wouldn't reproduce. We thought this was a good idea that it was better that we do these things for the human race because after all if evolution is at base what is true then why not try to force the the human race down the path of proceeding evolutionarily and eliminating these bad genes. That's what eugenics means: good genes, eliminating these bad genes out. Well, we found out that that's not such a great idea because some people take that to an extreme to say, "Oh, well, part of the bad, the badness, or the poor genes in in the gene pool are Jewish people." We need to get those people out of the gene pool. That's what Hitler thought. And we're going to get to Hitler a little bit with Dr. Mays's paper on Herman Zassa. So anyway, the point being, time is an issue there. We don't want to have to experiment with morality to figure out what it is. Correspondence theory fails in that manner. Also in the scope. By We know that natural law teaches us a few certain things, that have been true in all times and all places for all human beings one is that all times all places all human beings have had rules laws and customs about authority who has the authority yes God does grant authority to certain individuals institutions one being the family God has granted me authority over producer Isaac as my son God has granted the president of the United States over authority over me as a government official etc etc magistrates these sorts of things, but but all but that's a, but that's a part of morality we can observe from nature. We call, can also observe from nature that in all times, all places, with all people, that uh, unjust harm to the body is outlawed. Often, or there's at least some rules about it. This includes a murder. Uh, we also observe uh, that uh, personal uh, private property is also an issue. Marriage is another issue, uh, and. Uh, truth telling The idea of When you go into a court of law You have to say I swear to I promise to tell the truth The whole truth And nothing but the truth So help me God Right We could, we actually invoke God In, in that uh, In that scenario As an authority So we know this We can observe, observe All these basic tenets From nature But we don't know All the details of them We can't observe All the details of them From nature um, So we need help From the creator It would be nice and I've, I've asked some of my atheist friends this, wouldn't it be nice if we had an instruction book from the person that invented these morals to give us some more details on it? Wouldn't it be nice if we had that? Oh yeah, it'd be nice, but we don't have that. See, and then you can get into a discussion about do we have it or don't we have it? Do we have God's voice in Holy Scripture or don't we? How do we figure that out? It's kind of a fun discussion to have with an atheist if you can get them down to it. And a lot of times that's kind of the trick, isn't it? Trying to, trying to get them down to having that type of discussion. And that's one way to do it. Is to talk about that sort of thing. So we're talking about scope there. Okay, so let's get into why that's that's a few reasons why the 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 pure deist is is going to be deficient in really coming across morals that are going to be, shall we say, sustainable. Right now, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the philosophy behind this. So um, let's talk about this philosophical concept called that Aristotle called pure. Formal cause, and essentially, what pure formal cause is discussing without getting into um, efficient cause and final cause, and the causes that Aristotle talks about in his philosophy, and other and other philosophers, namely Aquinas, talk about cause. Uh, I'm going to leave that aside for now. Let's bracket that off and just and just talk about formal cause itself. It's a little bit difficult to get your mind around because what you're trying to do is get your mind around God. And that is hard to do other than to think of it in terms of contingency. What philosophers call contingency, and all that means is that normally the way we explain things are in terms of contingency. So the reason producer one of the reasons producer Isaac exists is because of me. Because his mother and I had sexual relations in the marriage bed and that produces children. And just so happened to produce producer Isaac here. Who's so happy to be here today. The producer has been, was produced... In part by his father. That's correct. So producer's eyes, producer Isaac's existence is contingent on something I did. And that's how we explain a lot of things. So for instance, where did this... this uh, nifty pen come from, come from that writes on my phone well somebody invented a technology and so on and so forth it's contingency that explains everything except the ultimate thing so for instance producer Isaac is contingent on me I'm contingent on my father he's contingent on my grandfather his grandpa, his dad, his grandfather so on and so forth on down the line until we get to what? Who created the first human? Where does the contingency stop? Because reason and the quest for knowledge, the heuristic, our our epistemological heuristic demands of us that we continue to look for that ultimate cause. And that's where Aristotle ultimately went with what he called the unmoved mover. which in Western parlance we have come to know or call God. And that really is the term we use to encapsulate what we would call pure formal cause. Because you have to ultimately arrive, if you're going to discover this, if you're going to discover the the ultimate cause of everything, you have to discover something that's non-contingent, a non-contingent being. And that's hard to get your mind around. Because the, the natural thing for people to do when you start talking, when you start going back in time and back in time is just say, well, ultimately you have to get to God, and then the wag will say, or the atheists will say, "Well, who created God?" That's the rub. And if we, if we want to say something like, well, space aliens began the human race, the question still stands, well, who created the space aliens?" right? I mean I've quite properly heard atheists like Richard Dawkins, say something like this. Well, there's a possibility that we were created by space aliens or some, some sort of thing because, here's the thing, we don't use nothing as an explanation for everything. In other words, I wouldn't say Producer Isaac is here because of nothing. He disappeared out of nowhere. We, we wouldn't use that explanation to explain anything, let alone the ultimate cause of the universe and Dawkins knows that. There's got to be a cause and he knows and he and he that's why he's he's a obviously i guess according to the experts around him a brilliant scientist a brilliant mind a genius whatever but his philosophy is terrible he doesn't understand philosophy see that's where he lacks a few things that's where again our our epistemological heuristic has to needs to have theology above all they used to call theology the queen of the sciences because that was the one that stood in, magisterial, in the magisterial position in relation to things like reason and science and emotion and passion. That's where theology stood because it had to. This is what's great about Aquinas, why I'm a Thomist. Because Aquinas explained this perfectly, why we need to have theology in that magisterial position in order to explain anything, in order to make sense of anything. We have to have it there. It has to be there. And Dawkins struggles with this. There, he knows that we don't explain anything by saying, oh, the universe was created... Nothing created the universe. I shouldn't say from nothing, because God created the universe from nothing, we would say. But we ha- when we talk in terms of God as the pure formal cause of the universe, we have to talk about contingency. All right, And when we talk about a non-contingent being, essentially here are some of the characteristics. We're talking about things that have to do with material. So a non-contingent being would have to be able to create material out of nothing. He wouldn't be depending on anything to create the material. So say for instance I say for instance I was the only being in the universe and I was endowed with power to create material out of nothing and I wanted to make the materials for a car. And we'll, we'll get to why I'm using the car later because it just kind of simplifies things down. But I would have to be able to make the the iron and the ore and the things to make the metal and the car parts and all, all those different things. I would have to have the material. I would have to have the ability to create the material out of nothing if I were to be a pure formal cause. In other words, not dependent on anything. If I had to use something from somewhere else, now I'm contingent. Now I'm depending... On something else, and, and we are we are going to evolution with this, and this is going to make sense, and and, and morality is uh, is going to come in here. But but really, these are the these are the basic proofs for God. These are the basic proofs for why we have anything. So when we talk about morality, why do we have morality? Well, it boils down to contingency, down to pure formal cause. That's where you have to go with this. That's where your mind has to start getting around this idea of. How did this whole thing get started? Where did it come from? Who created it? And what kind of being it would it have to be to be a pure formal cause? This is what Aristotle is driving at. This is what um, Aquinas so beautifully put. And simply, by the way, in the most simple way. That's one reason I like Aristotle and Aquinas. Because they're, compared to a lot of other folks, are fairly straightforward and simple. It's almost commonsensical in a lot of ways. The way they explain things. And the reason I think that is, is because when you are on to truth... A lot of times it can be explained in the, in the simplest of ways, and when we talk about the being that is the pure formal cause, we're talking about a, me- a being that can create material out of nothing. We also have a being that has all knowledge. So here's where the car situation comes in. If I'm if I'm going to if the only thing I'm going to create is the car out of nothing, I'm going to create the car out of nothing. I'm going to have all knowledge of that car. Why? Why would I have all knowledge? Well, first of all, if I didn't have all knowledge, I would be contingent. I would be dependent on some other knowledge. If Producer Isaac had the knowledge to make my car, and I needed him to give me that knowledge, I would be dependent on him. Then we would be looking looking at Producer Isaac going, Oh, well, is he the the pure formal cause? Is he the non-contingent being? Is he God? Is he the one with all the knowledge? In addition to that, if the only thing I made was the car... And the only thing that we know of God made, God created was the universe, okay? Not a small thing. But if we boil it down to something like a car, I would have all knowledge of how the, all the intricacies of how that car worked, because I created it. I made it. So I would have all knowledge. So if God, if the only thing God created was the universe, he would have all knowledge, he would have to have all knowledge of the universe for those two reasons. First of all, because he has to have all knowledge, otherwise, he's contingent and he's no longer the pure formal cause and no longer properly God. Second of all, because if he created everything, he would have to have the knowledge to create it. See? Okay. Now, so we have knowledge and then we have uh, presence. And essentially, you can just think of this as observation. If you're going to create something, you're going to have to look at it. If producer Isaac is going to draw a picture of something, If he's gonna create a meme for the podcast for us at some point, then he is going to have to be there in the room with you know the paper or whatever else or the or the computer program that's helping him to make the meme, draw, whatever. He has to be present with it. He has to be there in order to create it, right? That's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about God's presence. And it boils down to really these three terms that theologians and philosophers have come to use, which is, we've probably heard these before. God is omnipotent. That's referring to material. Omniscient, referring to knowledge. as all knowledge. And omnipresent. He is in the presence of what He's created. Now... We might say, does that mean God is everywhere? Yes, but why does God have to be everywhere? Well, He has to be everywhere for a couple reasons. He's eternal. He's, uh, what we would say, God is eternally the creator and sustainer. Of all things. All right, so we understand the creation part pretty well. The sustaining part's a little bit more difficult, which is why God has to be omnipresent. And again, if He can't be everywhere at once, that means He's depending on something to be somewhere where He needs to be. That means He's contingent. Can't have that. Doesn't work. Because now we're looking again. The reason we can't have a have a contingent being being the ultimate explanation for everything is because if he's he's if he's depending on somebody or some being to be someplace he can't be, then he is dependent. Now we're looking again, if if I'm the being, right? This is a simple way to put it, maybe a little wonky, but if I'm the being we're looking at maybe to be that 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 uh, pure formal cause, but I'm dependent on producer Isaac to be somewhere to do something I can't do, then I'm dependent on producer Isaac. Now we're looking at producer Isaac as the pure formal cause. We're trying to see if he's he's depending on so so right that's what we're ultimately looking for because again the explanation of nothing doesn't work doesn't work it's not it's not satisfying because we don't use that to explain anything else okay so if if god is the sustainer of all things here's how i think about it the, co- the coffee cup is sitting on my desk producer isaac what's holding up my coffee cup desk the desk what's holding up my desk the ground what's holding up the ground the earth and what's holding up the earth the gravity what's holding up the gravity Space, holding totally up space, God. Right. So ultimately, what producer Isaac just said, if you couldn't hear him, is God is ultimately holding up my coffee cup. How's that work? Well, the floor is holding up the the desk is holding up my coffee cup. The floor is holding up the desk. The Earth is holding up the house. The foundation of the house. The physical laws of the universe is is, hold, is sustaining and holding up the the Earth. Who's upholding the laws that the laws of physics that sustain the universe? You have to come to a Pure formal cause A non-contingent being And that has to be going on at all times Otherwise I mean you would not describe this coffee cup As sitting on my desk um, As sitting on nothing You would say well nothing's holding up The coffee cup You would never use that explanation first of all And ultimately if you say that the ultimate thing Holding up everything is nothing Then what you're really saying Is nothing is holding up my coffee cup Because ultimately that's true Nothing is. that We might say as a convention, and this is how maybe some atheists would put it, is, well, conventionally we would say that your desk is holding up the coffee cup and the floor is holding up the desk, and et cetera, et cetera. We would say that as a convention, but in reality, nothing is holding it up. Yeah? The laws of nature. Well, who's holding up the laws of nature? Well, nothing is. Yeah? Okay? So that's, that's really what, what we get back to. And when it comes to, to, to deism and morality we can't just say that a god set this thing in motion that you know he what he really created was the primordial soup out of which everything came and that's really all he created and then out of that he set in motion the mechanics to evolve into what we know as human beings and everything we know in the universe today the reason that's a problem is because um, when it comes to morality, that puts God in the, in the place of being a contingent being because now God is not sustaining everything. Because if he's not actively involved in the universe, then uh, the universe can go on without him. He, is not, he He's not the thing on which everything depends. And again, we get back into that infinite regress, don't we? If God is not sustaining everything, if he's not actively involved in sustaining the laws of the universe and, and, and eternally creating it, um, then we've got a problem with how we are coming to this, this notion of pure formal cause, and that creates a problem with the idea of morals, In the sense of them being this thing that just developed naturally out of uh, an evolutionary process as a survival mechanism. Because then, what do we lose in that that scenario? Well, without them being a direct result of the pure formal cause, the unmoved mover, God, without them being the thing that God creates and sustains the universe with, then we lose the authority. We lose uh, the the uh, the timeliness of understanding morality. We lose the scope of it because then again, there it just becomes a product of our of our minds. Ultimately, it just becomes a product of our of our own creation, which ultimately puts us right back in the same place the atheists are. All right, so we cannot have we cannot as Christians. Go toward deistic evolution. Doesn't work. Doesn't work philosophically, as I've shown. Again, maybe it's a little murky still. Think about it. You'll get there. Again, continue to think about the authority, time, and scope piece. And how God needs to sustain the natural law in order for that to work. You can't have a, a distant, transcendent God and be a deist... Um, and and somebody and a de- you could have a, a, a you could be a deist and be a creationist that would work but you cannot be you cannot bind to evolutionary theory and still and still be a consistent deist uh, with your morals you cannot doesn't work that way because again if we if we evolved into this state of being with our morals and they are just a result of the natural processes of us trying to survive the survival of the fittest they, are, they, they at the end of the day boil down to a creation of contingent beings who do not have the authority to enforce those morals see we got a big problem we need God's authority in on this so that's one piece the other piece for us Christians is highly theological and we're going to get to Dr. Mays' paper pretty much next week <laughs> Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this week. We'll get to it next week. Um, and he's really going to talk us through the theological implications for us Christians of, uh, of not having uh, not, not understanding Genesis 1 through3 as history. And the big, let me just kind of lay it out here, first of all, the a number one problem, and I, and I don't hear enough people talking about that. I don't hear enough apologists and whoever else talking about, it. You know, who want to defend a young earth creationist viewpoint, they don't talk often enough about the historicity of Genesis 1 through 3 really laying the foundation for the gospel. Because if we do not have an historical Adam, we cannot have an historical Christ. If we don't have an historical first man, we cannot have an an historical last man. So if Genesis 1 through 3 is poetry, which it's not textually, it's not poetry. Genesis 1 through 3 is written as history if you understand the language in the text. It's not it's not Hebrew poetry. We know what Hebrew poetry is, it is not that. So it is it is history, it is written as history, it is intended to be read as history. And the problem with it is if you don't if you read it as metaphor, what prevents you from from understanding Christ as just a metaphor, what prevents you from understanding the fall into sin as just being another metaphor that the Scripture? What prevents you uh, from from uh, from allegorizing difficult parts of Scripture? Again, now we're getting into the uh, epistemological heuristic we originally started off talking about. We are we are starting to place reason in order to to harmonize evolutionary theory and quote modern science with our understanding of holy scripture we are elevating reason above scripture instead of saying as we should when we when, when you are reading scripture and you see something you're you're like that can't possibly be true or right i don't like that i don't like that that went on or i don't like that command or i don't believe that tenet that i'm supposed to, that is put forth as truth from holy scripture What your natural reaction should be to that is, I'm the one that needs to adjust to Scripture. Scripture doesn't need to adjust to me. See, we're always trying to accommodate Scripture to ourselves, aren't we? Trying to make, trying to twist it, trying to water it down, trying to make it something that is palatable to us and the way we want to live life and the things we want to believe. The reverse should be true. We should be adapting our opinions to the Word of God. Because if we believe that God exists and we believe he spoke in the scriptures, it makes it would be completely irrational for us not, not to ob- believe and obey what is written in the scriptures. If God said it, if God Almighty of the universe says something to you, you ought to believe and do it. Shouldn't you? That's just a logical thing to do. That's why unbelief is so irrational. Because you were saying, yeah, I, that's why deism really is irrational. Yeah, I believe God exists and that he might have spoken, at least spoke through nature, but yet we want to disobey it, don't we? We want to do our own thing. We want to accommodate it to to what we believe. We, We are elevating our passions and our reason above Scripture, and that leads to very, very dangerous places in how we live out our lives. And it also completely destroys faith, as we'll see Dr. Mays talk about beginning next week. We got him on the meme at least. We'll actually get him in the podcast next week. But until then, let me uh, remind you that we will be moving to Substack and Producer Isaac will be um, helping me with that move and we will let you know um, when that move happens. And when it does, we will uh, put a video up on YouTube, let you know on, on Facebook and that sort of thing to come on over to Substack and Rumble and wherever else we do. Until then, we'll see you next week. We'll let you know how it goes. See you then.